0: Good morning. morning. I give honor to our great and worthy God who is deserving of all glory, all honor and praise belongs to Him and we magnify Him, the one eternal God, Father, Son and Spirit. I am thankful, brothers and sisters, to be together with you once again and I appreciate the the kindness and courtesy shown to me to uh, come by as we've done in these... uh, Sunday's past, I think March and then last month, and uh, we're grateful that we can once again be with you in the goodwill of our God. I'm thankful to see Brother Earl with what he's faced and God bringing him a long way in the recent days since we were here back in July. It's good to see each of you. I know there are many needs, and we're thankful for God's goodness in answering prayer and helping as He has and remembering God's people here. And we've been blessed to fellowship with you in these days as well as Previous years, and we're grateful to God for that kindness. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. We want to start there and look at uh, uh, several scriptures this morning. As we do, I, I want to ask you to think with me about creation's birth pangs. Creation's birth pangs. I'd like to read some words that, by the Spirit of God, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. And uh, it might be good for us just to begin back at verse 16 in reading there. We we could start a little later in the chapter, but I think there's some blessed words there for God's people that we can begin with in looking at God's Word there. Romans chapter 8 again, beginning at verse 16. And we'll read together through to verse 23. Again, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 16. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, or that is, the redemption of our body. We trust our God will add his blessing today to this reading, the hearing of his word. May we just pause again in prayer before him to ask his blessing on it. Father, we draw near in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus, Thy beloved Son. Father, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to look to Thy Word together and then to look to Thee and ask Thy blessing on Thy Word. We pray Thy Spirit would aid us in hearing Thy voice this morning. Father, may You honor the Lord Jesus and may You speak to every heart here We pray, Father, for the need of every heart. Lord, whether it be salvation or whether it be blessing for those who know You, that we might draw near to You in a greater way. We ask that You would, by Your Spirit, work according to that need and honor Your Son. Father, we thank You for His worthiness that even now in heaven, the cry of heaven is worthy as the Lamb. Father, we acknowledge that this morning and we ask Your blessing to us. In Christ's name, Amen. We've read from Romans 8 here, and particularly those latter, those latter verses we read, uh, they speak about creation's birth pangs. And as Paul the Apostle writes concerning the blessings that we know in being in, united to Jesus Christ, as he speaks of that, and speaks particularly of what we as God's people experience now in this world, in the way of suffering, but also in the larger world, how that suffering is seen, We see some words that really speak of the purpose toward which God is directing those things. By way of a title, I give you creation's birth pangs. And that's what the apostle speaks of particularly there in verses 22 and 23. Those things that mark the whole creation the Bible says. Notice again those words as uh, we think of them. And if you would go back with me just to the words of verse 21 to to think in terms of how that brings in verse 22. Because the creature or creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit that the redemption of our body. The Spirit of God here outlines what's going on in human history. He speaks particularly through the pen of Paul of things that happen in creation that are, as it says, a groaning and travailing and pain together. Now that word travailing and pain in the, in the Greek Testament is the word, uh, it's a verbal form, odonao. It's a word that speaks of birth pains. It's a word that speaks of the labor pains that a woman has in the midst of her travel of childbirth. Now, I mentioned earlier in Sunday school I were, Terry and I had six children. And uh, we recently had a grandson back November 16th of last year, our son Grayson. I'm happy to tell you that everything people told me about being a grandparent, they weren't misleading me it's been a great experience I've loved it oh boy I love Grayson and I'm looking forward to the arrival of Judah David I love that middle name especially Judah David uh, our son Stacy and his bride are expecting their they a uh, newborn they've been married about two years and no now three I'm sorry and uh, thank you Terry I saw that hand yes <laughs> is there another <laughs> yes uh, it's good to have a wife here sometimes, right uh, see we're glad she's here thank you for the song but three years and, and now they're expecting the, their firstborn and uh, I, I've had a lot of experience with labor pains thankfully all secondary <laughs> but, but those labor pains are related here to the world to the whole creation that as those verses in Romans 8 say has been made subject to the bondage of corruption and has been made subject to vanity and that speaks of something that happened in creation that many people don't seem to have a handle on or a sense of. For when God made the world in the beginning, Genesis 1 bears fair testimony to the fact that when God looked on what He made, Genesis one thirty one, it said, God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Now that word good occurs like a refrain throughout Genesis 1. When God made the light, God said, let there be light. There was light. And God saw the light. Behold, it was good. And down through Genesis 1, that word good occurs. But then here's the summary in Genesis one thirty-one: as God looks at creation. He says, it's very good. I think of an artist who's looking at the work he's painted. And as he sees it, he says, "Mm," you know, or "Mm." he's thinking of Two thumbs up! It's good. And God looked at creation and saw that about creation. But then, as the Word of God goes on to record in Genesis, creation t- was marred by sin. Our first parents, given clear command by God, they disobeyed, and you and I, along with them and all creation, were plunged into sin. And there's the creation has been marked by vanity or emptiness, but also by a bondage, of corruption. But even in that, there's good news because as the Bible tells us here, those things that creation experiences are like labor pains. Because God is moving even this present creation that's been marked by sin and marked by bondage, enslavement, marked by corruption, decay, and decomposition. God's moving creation somewhere. God has a plan, hallelujah. May I say it reverently, God has an agenda. Now, some people use that word agenda in a bad way and some people it it deserves to be used in a bad way. He's got an agenda. but, But agenda really means things to be done. And God has purposes toward which He's moving creation because when man sinned and is God's vice regent of creation, given dominion, when he sinned and as it were, he passed that dominion on to the evil one, thank God God didn't quit being God. God continued to be king over a creation even though marred and marked by sin. And God had a purpose that He was going to work out. And one day, the whole creation is going to be set free as it says, delivered, verse 21 tells us, from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But in order for that to happen, there are going to be some birth pains. Brothers and sisters, I would say this to you that I believe is an accurate assessment. 2020 has been a year of birth pangs for creation. I know this COVID virus has been politicized, but there's something real going on. People have gotten sick and people have died. I believe that. Now, I think others have tried to use it other ways, but there's a reality there. But... Even more recently. Who ever heard of an earthquake in Sparta, North Carolina? Now I didn't feel it at eight oh something that it happened a few Sundays ago, but our son Samuel, he was he, he doesn't sleep in a bed, he sleeps on the floor. And he was he had awakened, he was praying on his knees on his bed, a pallet on the floor, and he said he felt it. And I didn't. I was in the shower at that time, and I don't remember feeling. I guess I'm glad I didn't in the shower. I'd have been one. But an earthquake in Sparta. But there was one in Mineral last decade. You remember Mineral, Virginia? I heard it. I was in my study, and I heard this sonic boom. It sounded like. And my son Stephen was in the house. He came. He said, "Dad, what was that?" Came downstairs. We went outside, and neighbors were out across the street and next door. What was that? We found out what it was. Mineral Virginia, northwest of Richmond. It had an earthquake too, or a seismic shock, or whatever. And it reverberated from Atlanta up to Toronto. What's going on? Well, our Lord Jesus spoke of it similar to Paul in Romans chapter 8. In Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. Would you turn to Mark 13 with me please? And notice what our Savior said about the birth pangs. Mark chapter 13, and uh, let's just begin reading there, verse 1, so that we can appreciate the setting of what our Savior says here. Mark chapter 13, verse 1, we read, "...and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings?" there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple... Peter and James and John and Andrew asked Him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them, began to say, Take heed lest any any man deceive you. For many shall come in My name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Then, our King James Version, some of the... Copies we have our King James Bible. There are marginal readings given by the translators. There's one for Matthew thirteen eight. That word sorrows. It's something like this: the word in the original importeth the pains of a, as of a woman in labor. That same word sorrows there in verse eight of Mark thirteen and Matthew twenty four eight as well is a verb a noun in the Greek testament odin or odine which means birth pains or labor pains that is the same word as that verb that's found back there in Romans chapter 8 the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain that phrase what the Lord Jesus again is speaking of here similar to what Paul says in Romans 8 is that creation is marked by birth pains by labor pains Now again, I have great experience with labor pains. all secondary. I can remember, we were living actually in northeast Guilford County, probably about seven miles from here, maybe eight. Gospel Baptist Church, Parsonage, along Osceola Road, there beyond the AO area. Terry and I, when our firstborn was to arrive, Stacy, now 35, Again, it would have helped me if some of y'all could have that. He can't have a child that old, but none of you did. <laughs> thank you a lot. Uh, But when Stacy was born, I'd had a long day that Monday. You know, they say preachers only work one hour a week, Well, I'd had a long day that Monday. It wasn't just Sunday, and we we visited the hospital and been the uh, there and uh, visited some who had had death in the family. And I finally finished that plate of spaghetti. Thank God for microwaves. About eleven thirty that night got off the phone with one of our deacon's wives. He'd had surgery that day, and I'd been in the hospital with him. She was giving me an update, Sister Shirley Patterson. Most of y'all knew Charlie and Shirley. Well, I laid down my head, ready to rest at 11.30. And Terry said, David, I believe I'm having labor pains. If they can only of her, I said, honey, try to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I said you you, you, you you, need the rest if they're real and if they're Braxton and Hicks and they're not real you don't need to lose sleep over that. She would not be convinced. At about 12.30 she finally said our next door neighbors were members of the church and also good neighbors Joe and Carolyn Myers. She said, David, if you don't call Dr. Barkley I'm going to get Joe and Carolyn to take me to the hospital. So that was settled. I called Dr. Barkley, we went to the hospital that rascal didn't show up the next morning until 1030 Stacy was born about eleven twenty-eight that next morning. But I learned something about birth pains when I was there. They, they put a fetal monitor on Terry and as they did, I could tell when the birth pains were beginning before she could feel them. And so I'd tell her, take a cleansing breath. She'd do that, you know, deep breath. And I could see it rise. But I learned about the birth pains or labor, labor pains. I learned that as she got along farther in the pregnancy as in the delivery excuse me the pregnancy had already passed, the delivery was coming now as she got farther along in that delivery those labor pains became more intense and also came closer together and i'd see that needle rise even higher when she had that pain And that's, brothers and sisters, what our Lord is saying here as He talks about rumors of wars and wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, Matthew 24 mentions pestilence or disease as well. As He speaks of those things happening, He's saying, as we move closer, these are the beginnings of sorrows, the beginning of birth pains, but as we move closer to delivery... As we move closer to that time when the whole creation is going to be set free from the bondage of corruption, as we move closer, what's going to happen is those birth pangs are going to come more intense and closer together till finally delivery takes place. Now, the Jews, as they spoke in their own understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, they spoke of what they called The birth pangs of Messiah, which they were referring to, the birth pangs of creation. What would happen to creation as they move closer to the time of the arrival of the Messiah. And the Old Testament does speak about those things. Let me ask you to go back to Isaiah 24 and just notice the words of what some call the Apocalypse of Isaiah. The book of Revelation bears the name in Greek, Apocalypse. We get our word Apocalypse from that unveiling. Well, some have called these words of Isaiah chapters 24 through 27, the apocalypse of Isaiah. And as Isaiah speaks about it, notice what he says. We could read a number of verses, but we won't. Uh, Let me just ask you to notice verse 1, and then we'll drop down a little. we could read through, but but I just want to give you a few that point out, I believe, what we will see in the presence of what our Lord is speaking about there in Matthew 24, in Mark chapter 13. In Isaiah chapter 24, notice the words that begin, verse 1 there, "...behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof." Drop to verse 3. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this world word, excuse me. The earth mourneth and fadeth away, the world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. And if you will, drop down with me now to verse nineteen. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. In other words, Isaiah foresees really the same thing that our Lord predicted and forecast in those words of Matthew 24 and Mark 13, what we commonly call the Olivet Discourse, that sermon He gave on the Mount of Olives as His disciples asked, when shall these things be? And Paul speaks about it as he speaks about the earth in our birth pains As those birth pangs become more intense and closer together, finally giving delivery to what will be nothing less than a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. It's a glorious day. But as we think about creation's birth pangs, we would do well to think about Christ's birth pangs. Because you see, in order for earth to move from the curse that has been brought on sin, brought on by sin, to the blessing that will mark world the world one day in that new creation. In order for that to happen, the Lord Jesus Christ experienced some birth pangs himself. I want you to turn with me while you're in Isaiah to chapter fifty-three, please, of the book of Isaiah. Now, as I ask you to turn to Isaiah 53, many of you will immediately remember that Isaiah 53 is the chapter of Messiah's sufferings. It actually begins back in chapter 52, verse 13. Isaiah, who lived about 700 years before the Lord Jesus came into flesh, with, if you will... An amazing pinpoint accuracy given by the Spirit of God predictively, Isaiah outlined what the Lord Jesus experienced on the cross for us. He predicted it. He pointed out the substitute. He showed Israel's unbelief. Who hath believed our report? Verse 1. But if you would in chapter 53 of Isaiah, please notice the words of verse 10. Isaiah 53 again verse 10. As Isaiah brings to conclusion that prophecy given him by the Holy Spirit about Jesus' death as our substitute, our Savior, our surety, as he does that in the words of verse 10 of Isaiah 53, he says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now notice what Isaiah says there. By way again a summary really here of bringing to conclusion that prophecy of the death of Christ at the cross. Again 700 years before it happened. Thereabouts. Isaiah was a court prophet in Jerusalem, preached to Hezekiah, preached to Ahaz, preached to others of the kings of Judah. But he was active in that ministry of prophecy about 700 years before the Lord Jesus was birthed. He announced his birth by a virgin woman, Isaiah 7.14. He spoke the words of Isaiah nine six For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." He spoke about Messiah. But as he gets to the latter part of his prophecy, he speaks of Messiah as the servant of the Lord who would suffer for the sins of His people. And as he does that, here he, as it were, gives us a synopsis of that suffering in verse 10. And he says this about it. Yet it pleased the Lord. God the Father. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. To Crush his son. And as he says that, he goes on to say, He, the Father, the Lord, Jehovah, hath put him, the Son, to grief. That's why on the cross Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If I may, let me say it reverently right here. Let me tell you why. He was taking my weapon for me, he was bearing on the cross. The wrath that should have sunk David Morris down to hell forever. I deserved the wrath. I deserved the fire. My sin had earned it. But the darling Lamb of God, the Son of God, took the place of sinners and bore the weight of wrath for them. Here's the difference though. Because He was God in man, whereas I would have been drinking the cup of damnation for eternity. At the cross He could drink the cup of damnation and empty it. Hallelujah. Because He was both God and man and His eternal being, He could empty that cup. And He drank it dry, praise God. And He could cry out, after He cried, My wife, thou forsaken me. He could cry out, John 19.30, It is finished. And Isaiah here captures that as he says, He says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise and He has put into to grief. And then He breaks out in prayer and He says to the Father, When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. The Hebrew word is asham which speaks of the guilt offering. In other words, Christ Himself on the cross which became an altar for Him as priest and sacrifice as, our offer, as offering and offerer. As He did that, the Father looked on Him and He saw our sin the Father treated Him as though He were our sin and punished the Son in our place. That's why Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him... Who is He? The One who knew no sin. He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be the righteousness of God in Him. That's that wonderful exchange of Christ the substitute there at the cross. Taking our place, becoming sin for us so that we might be made righteousness. This is what Isaiah is speaking about. And as he does, he goes on to say, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then he adds, He shall see of the travel of his soul and shall be satisfied. In other words, Isaiah is telling us that at that moment, when he died on the cross, it was a life giving moment. It was a birth giving moment, if you will. For on the cross he would see a seed. And he would see the travail of his soul. There's that understanding again of labor. Travel. He would see the travel of his soul and be satisfied. In other words, the moment of his death was the moment of our life, child of God. The moment of his death was the moment of our birth. Now, I realize that you and I were born again along the way in time, but the pivot, the fulcrum, the catalyst, the lever by which we're born again was His work at the cross in which He went through the pains of death which were for us the pains of birth. And He was given birth by His grace at the cross to a multitude of sinners that no man can number from every tribe, tongue, nation, king, and people. Now, I'll just say this. I could say this is free no extra charge, but I won't do it. I did, didn't I? <laughs> but in John 19, John said when they pierced his side, they poured out what? Blood and water. You know what happens when a mother gives birth? Same thing, pours out blood and water. And you know it's interesting, before He went to the cross in John 16, He told His disciples that there's sorrow when a woman gives birth, but when the child's born, the sorrow's forgot because a man child's her. He said that looking ahead to His cross. Why? Because by God's grace He was going to see His seed through His cross work. He was going to see the travel of His soul and be satisfied. Now that amazes me that He could give birth to the likes of us and say, I like that, but He does. Hallelujah. He says, I'm satisfied. One day again, there'll be that host of sinners that no man can number in His presence. And He'll look at them and He'll say, Father, that's what I died for. That's what I gave my life for. Those are the ones I bought by my blood and they've been washed and made white and they've been made new. All through His work. Now if you would, turn to Acts 2 for a moment, please. And look with me at the words of Peter in the second chapter of Acts. As he preaches on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes in power after the Lord Jesus has ascended and gone back to glory and taken His seat at the Father's right hand. (laughs) Excuse me, in Acts chapter 2. We read there these words. If you would just pick up with me at verse 22, but it's verse 24 that I would particularly lift before you. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. The Lord Jesus being preached by Peter here. And Peter says, verse 22 of Acts 2, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that He should be old of it. Now notice that summary of the Lord Jesus right there. First of all, a man approved by God. Holy humanity, unlike us. All of us have sinned and come short of His glory, but Christ approved by God in His holy humanity. But then delivered, not just by wicked hands, crucified, but by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, delivered, verse 23, the one who was holy, given over by the Father to death. Why? Well, because there was a purpose in His death. He was becoming the substitute of sinners so that they might be given new life and new birth. And that's what verse twenty four refers to when he was raised, having loosed what? The pains of death. Guess what that word pains is? That same word sorrows in Matthew twenty four, eight and Mark thirteen, eight. Here it's Odin Odina. Having loosed, may I say it reverently? The birth pangs, the labor pains of death. You see, the darling Son of God on the cross, he was travailing to bring forth a new man. The old man in Adam was going to die. But all of those who are united to him, the last Adam, the second man, the Lord from heaven, they're united in life. And you and I needed that. The Lord Jesus made it so clear to Nicodemus. Remember His words when Nicodemus came to Him by night. John chapter 3. And He handed the Lord Jesus that bouquet. We know Thou art a teacher come from God for no man could do these miracles. Thou doest except God be with him. And the Lord Jesus didn't say, Thank you for the bouquet. Here's a check plus and a smiley face. (laughs) No, the Lord Jesus said, Verily I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the Kingdom of God. You see, our first birth in Adam because of sin doesn't qualify us. We needed a second birth. And that's why Christ died at the cross. Going through those birth pangs of death, those labor pains of death, so that we might have a new birth. So that we might be born again. And that leads me to my final point this morning. And that is conversions, birth pangs. If you would look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, please. Notice what Paul says there to God's people as he writes to them. And he had to, you know, Paul was a good father to the saints of God. He rebuked him when he had to. Sometimes he had to do that. 1 Corinthians, he's talking to what some call his problem child church. Corinth was a problem child church. They had so many issues. But the Apostle, by God's grace, dealt with them, especially in these two letters that are addressed to them. But in 1 Corinthians 4, notice what he says to the people of God there in the church at Corinth in verse 15. 1 Corinthians 4.15 Let me just read verse 14 to give you some of the background as well. "...I write not these things to shame you, but as My beloved sons I warn you, for though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ..." Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the Gospel. What Paul, What's Paul talking about? Well, he's, if you will, talking about what had happened when he came to Corinth with the Gospel. There in Acts 18 it's recorded. And what Christ did at the cross to make sinners new, to give them a new birth, God the Holy Ghost applied to them in salvation through the Gospel. Through the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1 when he talks about the new birth that his readers had experienced. And he says, this is the Word which by the Gospel is preached to you. Verse 25 of 1 Peter 1. God by His Spirit through the ministry of Paul when He came to Corinth That Jewish rabbi that they said was weak and his speech was contemptible, later on that was said about him at Corinth. God brought that message in power, a message about Christ crucified, God's darling Son, put to death on a cross and then raised again. God took that message and through the lips of Paul, God brought people out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. In other words, He made that Gospel effectual. And as He did it, He gave them a new birth. Why? Because the old birth again, John 3, doesn't qualify us to enter the kingdom. May I say it this way? I'm not a physics major. I didn't even take physics. But we've heard a whole lot of talk about DNA, haven't we? Physically, everybody has DNA. That amazing helix that marks... Every form of life. And it defies evolution, by the way. It damns that lie. Because a God of information and design put that DNA in us and in plants and in everything that lives. Every living thing has that. Amazing. Now, helix that's made full of information, chock full of information. Didn't just evolve. It was made by God, the Creator. But here's the kicker about us as we're born in this world in Adam. I don't have the right DNA to enter God's kingdom. I need a new birth. And That's what happens in conversion. God brings sinners through birth pangs, And guess what happens? Well, here's spiritually what happens. A church becomes a nursery. Because all of a sudden... Babies are being born by the power of God's Spirit through the Word. Through that incorruptible seed of the Word of God which by the Gospel is preached to sinners. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says to the Corinthians, I through the Gospel have begotten you. He was laboring as a preacher to see sinners saved, born again through God's work of grace, through the sovereign mercy of God that alone can take sinners and bring them out of darkness and death to light and life. The only way that you and I can be born again is by a supernatural work that God alone can accomplish through His Word. But hallelujah, He's able to do it. I want to say pardon my excitement, but I don't. I'm glad about it. Ah, hallelujah! I've been taken out of death, put into life. Taken out of darkness, and I'm walking into light now. I was in Adam, but now I'm in Christ. God did that. He did it by His grace. Through the work of His Spirit. The only one who could bring us out of death was the Spirit of life. You and I couldn't do it. We were incapable. We were unable. I read this morning, First Corinthians 2, talking with some of the brethren about it in the back there. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that is the man that's lost, the man that's in Adam, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them for their spiritual concern. How will you know them then? The Spirit of God has to take you out of the realm of the natural and put you by grace into the realm of the spiritual. He alone can do that. And that's what Paul's talking about. Look with me please at Galatians as well as he speaks along these similar lines to to the Galatian believers who had sadly been seduced away in measure from the Gospel and notice in the words there of verse 19 of Galatians 4 what the Apostle says. Very similar to what we see there in those words of 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 the Apostle writes, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, Paul says, I've got one object in my ministry. And that's what every man that's a true minister ought to have in his mind. And that is seeing Christ formed in his hearers. Seeing the Lord's, why? Because God's predestined purpose for sinners to be saved is what? That Christ be formed in us, that we be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what Paul was after by the grace of God. But he speaks there, notice it, travail in birth. There's that verb that we find back in Romans 8, O D N O O. It means to labor in birth pangs. Paul was doing that, why? because he wanted to see people genuinely converted so that they might by being born again be able to enter the kingdom of God now as we think about that and we reflect on what we've seen we see creation's birth pains there's a new world coming we see though that we've got to experience a new birth be made a quote a new creation what does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Whole things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've got to become new creatures. That could only happen if first of all, the Lord Jesus Christ could experience those birth pains by which we could be born again at the cross. He did that. But also, there's got to be that personal work of the Spirit of God in the heart of the sinner by which we what we're born again. And we experience conversions, birth pains. We experience the reality of God beginning to form Christ in us. Now, some of you may remember there used to be a bumper sticker. It had a bunch of initials on it. I can't remember them all. PBBB something. Please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. I like the way the, I believe it was, uh, it won't come to me. The name of the group that is. The words are... Some of you may remember this little chorus from I think the 80's. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. took Him just a week to make the moon and stars. The sun of the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient He must be. He's still working on me. See, that's what He's doing. By His Spirit, through the Word, He birthed us. And now He's rearing us, who are His children, Why? Because one day, hallelujah, we're going to look just like Jesus. What a wonder. When one day angels fold their wings and bow their heads and they look at the God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the only true God, and they say, how did you do it? How did you take a lump of coal like David Morris and make him shining like the Lord Jesus Christ? And That's what God's going to say about every one of His people made like him it will all be brothers and sisters because of his sovereign grace that did this work this work which he alone father son and holy spirit could accomplish And you and I who know Him, we will join together and lift in our voices in praise and we will praise the triune God of grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and we'll acknowledge You are worthy, Lord, of all glory and honor. All power, might, dominion, majesty is Yours. For You did it, Lord. You did it. And that's by the way the Gospel we preach. It's a He done it Gospel. It's a He did it. It's not a man-centered message. No, it's a God-centered message. It tells of this God who though sin had done its worst, He said, I'm going to show my best. And in creation, He's going to make one day, as we see the birth pains all around us, He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth where He's righteousness. But along with that, there's going to be a new humanity. May I say it again, has the right DNA spiritually to enter that. All because Christ at the cross suffered so that this world would not be left in that wicked, ultimate state of sin. But rather, it would become a new world wherein dwelleth righteousness. Child of God, there's a new world coming. May we be looking for it. And may we be living for it. As Peter says in Second Peter 3 when he talks about that new heaven and new earth, he said, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of life, what manner of conduct, conversation ought we to live in all holiness? We ought to be living for Him. May we do that by His grace. And our lives bring glory to the Lamb of God who is worthy. Let's pray. Father, we ask You now to bless Thy Word. We thank You, Father, for the truth of it. We ask today for any who have not believed on Thy Son, Thy Spirit, bring them to trust the Lord Jesus, to believe on His name, to give that new birth by which faith and repentance come. Father, for those of us who know You, may You challenge us, encourage our hearts by Thy Word to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, Amen.